The more things change, the more they stay the same. Static and dynamic variables in BallCube. Tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back again tonight to the Commune Podcast, where we'll be discussing Ball Cube, a very popular game, uh, one of the most popular games with both ball and cube in the name. Just in case you haven't gotten to this through the internet and you're listening to this, Ball Cube is only spelled with one L. That's because that's how it's spelled in Japanese. So there you go, Warrior fan. (laughs) So we're going to talk about some of the elements that compose, uh, some of the sort of base elements that compose a player strategy rather than discussing how we as players come from a top level. We're going to talk about the variables in play that comprise the challenges of the game and that subconsciously form our uh, playing strategy. Before we get further into that, I wanted to welcome my guests. On my left, I have uh, Shouty. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Are you doing well? Yeah, I'm doing just fine. I'm always a little choppy at the beginning of a podcast because I haven't got my rhythm yet. (laughs) (laughs) Adrian, uh, I uh, know you've been working hard today. How are you feeling? Tired. But I'm eating shrimp, so it was worth it. Ah, nice shrimp on the Barbie. That always goes down well. Golem, how about you? I'm I'm pretty choppy. Alright, I don't think that can be used in that sense. So. <laughs> I'm like right. Chop Master Onion. Chop, chop Master Onion. Oh, I didn't know that was his name, to be totally honest. <laughs> I'm an okay. sensei. Golem, have you been playing Parappa lately? Is that what you're trying to say? Or what have you been playing? No, uh, after I uh, one credit cleared all the Turbo Star Soldier games, uh, I moved on to Darius, which is hilariously awesome. It's a great port on a Turbo or PC engine. That's Darius Plus, right? Yeah. It's a little bit of a concern because the arcade original is three screens wide, but the stages work surprisingly well. I can't imagine how you would play it on a wide cabinet. The bosses are a different matter, though. They take up a huge chunk of the screen. And there's one I'm stuck on now, My Home Daddy, where his attacks just fill up so much of the screen space that when he doesn't kill me, I time out. And uh, when you time out in Darius, there are cubes that spawn in, and they home in on you, and I'm not sure that you can actually dodge them. So I think it's just you die in a creative way. Yeah, okay, arcade games do that. I can't quickly think of an example. It's different from, like, Ikaruga, where the boss politely backs off if you don't do it in time. Yeah. Do um, what in time? Kill it. Why is there a time limit? It's an arcade game. I don't know. Yeah, don't oh. sit around and hog the cabinet. <laughs> That'd be a really fun thing to do, to just play a boss fight and just survive infinitely to abuse the time limit so that no one else could play the game. I'm sure people were really lining up um, behind the Darius cabinets and... Akihabara. <laughs> they were lining out in the streets all the way to Shibuya. Uh, Shadi, how about you? You been playing any PC Engine games? Oh, I don't want to talk about 
the PC Engine games I've been playing. So I'll talk about Captain Toad because I I just got the new Captain Toad amiibo, and I've been putting that to use as physical DLC on Captain Toad for the tracker. So is uh, the amiibo becoming uh, one of your good friends and something someone you hang out with often? Yes. There's DLC in Captain Toad though. There's like extra levels. No. When you use the Captain the, the Toad amiibo on Captain Toad, it will go into hide and seek mode for each level, where you have to do a literal pixel hunt for um, a Toad sprite that that's stuck on the wall in in the level, and you have to tap it to beat the level. Huh. Uh, <laughs> is that as bizarre as it sounds? <laughs> it sounds yeah. like a really awesome game. <laughs> yeah. Are they? I don't know. Are they doing stuff where they roll out additional features for a given game for an Amiibo that you already have? Like, is it possible they would add more content for Toad Amiibo owners? Yeah, or, uh, is in, that in different games. Oh, okay. Like in Mario Party, you can use your Toad Amiibo for Amiibo Party. For a Amiibo Party. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just occurred to me that Amiibo is like a play on Amoeba, or is it? No. That's the first thing I thought when I heard is like, Amiibo? Why would they want any association with Amoebas? I mean, aren't those like bacterias, or, or what? what is it, Protista, that are like dangerous? Protista is, uh, is, a, is, a, is not used anymore. It's, it's an obsolete term. She. There's an interview on uh, Gamma Sutra where Iwata talks about his unicellular game design philosophy. Okay. No, no Wait, difference. protists aren't unicellular. <laughs> yeah. All right. Whatever. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, Adrian, have you term. been playing any? Uh, <laughs> Adrian, have you been playing any uh, unicellular or multicellular games? <laughs> well, I did get back into Link's Awakening. Took a break from Zelda 2 because, uh, man, the last palace is dirty bullshit. Especially that one fake floor that gives you like the longest way possible to go around to where it's faster to just kill yourself. Yeah. Anyways, taking this week off from Zelda 2, got back to Link's Awakening. That was fun. Nailed two dungeons. And Oh yeah, I've been playing um Super Mario Land 2. Oh. Yeah, the person who previously oh, owned it 3DS uh, had it, so I got it for free. <laughs> Such a good game. Yeah, it's weird too. Such a great Mario game. So it's everything that's great about Mario in one okay. game. Yeah, I've I've played up to the tree zone, but um, it is definitely a weird oh. Mario game. Like, if there's ever a black sheep among Mario games, no, that'd side... be that'd be Super Mario Land One. Yeah, Super Mario Land One is the black sheep. Really? Okay, I gotta try out that one. That I, one's like maybe like the Super Mario Land sub series in general is like a black sheep. Cause isn't the third one basically the Wario game? Yeah, it's not really a Mario game anymore. I mean, it is just Wario Land 1. Yeah. Yeah, alright. Well, that one's even weirder if you play it on the Super Game Boy. I believe you get some pretty cool colors. Or is it Game Boy Color? Super Game Boy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've only played it once, and that was many years ago. On the Super Game Boy? Uh, on something that Golem had that he plugged into the TV that I probably didn't pay attention to. Uh, no, you know what? It was probably Game Boy Color because it was probably... The GameCube. 
Yeah, yeah, game su- player. yeah, yeah. super game super Boy Game player. Boy player. Yeah. Well, I've been a little bit annoyed to be playing Ball Cube because all the other games I've been playing have a three in the title, so Ball Cube has really been messing that up. Well, you can replace but, but the three, with the three. Cube, yeah, Cube uh, suggests a three, so... Oh, you can, you can write a three as a subscript. Mm-hmm. Ball to the third power. Write, write it where? Like, B-A-L on my screen? Cubed. Yeah, subscript. Just you etch just, it into my you, monitor? You, you, you yeah. just get some Sharpie and you draw it in your monitor. Yeah. All right, well, I'll try that and see if it makes me feel better about playing it. Um, no, it already makes you feel better just thinking about it. You've also been playing Capcom games, right? Makes me feel apprehensive. Yeah, sort of. Monster Hunter Try, Devil May Cry 3. What the hell was the other three game I was playing? Final Fantasy X? Three? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was, three. it was Sonic 3 and Knuckles, that's oh. right. Okay. That's not Capcom, but yeah, not much to say about this. Uh, Devil May Cry 3 is, uh, I like it now. Pretty good. Do you, want it to, do you want a remastered version? They already did that. Oh, right. That's what I'm playing it on, the HD collection on Xbox 360. Uh, it looks like it's a PS2 game in HD resolution. That sounds good. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, It didn't really have a lot of visual issues, so no big deal. In this first segment, we roll up our sleeves and discuss the nitty-gritty of Ball Cube. There are lots of nuts and bolts in Ball Cube, but we're not talking about them, at least directly. Instead, we're talking about the variables that define them. You know what? I better let yourself take over. Let's move on to Ball Cube. This is an arcade game from 1996. It's a vertical puzzle action game similar to Breakout with a dash of Puzzle Bobble or whatever the hell that one is. Puzzle Bobble. Yeah, uh, since it's a, a relatively basic game gameplay-wise, I want to talk about some real basic elements, primarily what the dynamic and static variables are that affect uh, making choices in gameplay, and particularly distinguishing how those two things affect the structure of gameplay and play off one another. Before I start asking everyone questions, I want to just clarify what I mean by dynamic and static variables. First, I don't know if I should confuse this, but there are dynamic and static elements of a game, and by that I mean static being elements whose state never changes, uh, essentially and it's something that doesn't move, doesn't ever go away, basically just like the ground in Super Mario Brothers is a standard example. A dynamic element is something that state can change, so that's just about everything else in Super Mario Brothers. Um, your blocks are, can be destroyed, your enemies move on their own, etc. So when I talk about static and dynamic variables, what I actually mean is the properties of those elements themselves. So a static variable or a static property is something that's the same in every encounter with that game state. 
It's something like there's a Goomba at X location 100 every time you play stage 1-1 in Mario. It seems like the static variables would just be whatever you can read out of a level file. Yeah, what I was going to say is a dynamic variable is something that will vary from play to play and essentially is anything that's going to be influenced by the player. An enemy that chases the player provides a dynamic variable or, uh, as I said, blocks that can be destroyed provide a dynamic layout. There's also random stuff that can't be influenced by the player, but that's there's not much of that in Ball Cube. Yeah, Ball Cube's pretty simple, which is why I chose this topic. But yeah, I, I would consider randomization to be dynamic as well. Like your your Super Mario Brothers example there is Bowser. Uh, with that understanding of static and dynamic variables, basically things that change every time you play the game, or things that can change, and things that will always be the same. Golem, can you point out one dynamic variable that influences your gameplay in Ball Cube? I guess the first thing I think of is how the floor crumbles away based on where you hit it. So that's like one really easy thing that gets you to change where you move the ball, even if there's absolutely no blocks on screen. Right, so specifically where you land on that uh, bottom row of bumpers will determine which bumper is open as the ball continues moving until it hits the bumper again. How specifically does that layout of the bumpers affect your gameplay? The ball at some point is going to be falling down because at the very least, assuming you do a perfect run of a of a screen and you hit all of the blocks without touching the bumpers, no more blocks will load in until you hit the bumpers. So you need to hit the bumpers in order to progress the stages. But where you previously hit the bumper, there will be a hole, so you can't hit that spot, or else you will die. I guess an easy scenario to think about is, like, if you have a tall column of blocks that you want to get through, it's difficult to just plow upward through it, because you can't leave the ball in place. It would go up, hit the block, come down, and then fall on the bumper that you just cleared out. Right. Essentially, it restricts um, your X movement in some sense, because... There's a range of invalid expositions or game-ending expositions when you reach the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Does it affect anything aside from your immediate navigation of the cube away from the gap? The fact that I create a gap when I hit the floor? Yeah. I don't think that really (laughs) does affect too much else. I guess in an indirect sense, like, I know you can collect a power-up if it's overlapping a bumper by hitting the bumper and you don't have that same convenience if there's a hole there, but that's about it. It also depends on how large the bumper that you destroyed was. Yeah, bumpers can be of different sizes, and so if you hit a big bumper, you'll have a bigger hole there. Yeah, but if it's a smaller one, you might not worry about it as much. Oh, you know what? I forgot, you get 10 points for every bumper as well. Does the size matter? No, Uh, (laughs) it's the same points whether it's big or small. Oh, man. Yeah, so I guess the one thing I think about is I try not to drop power-ups over the uh, gap because it just requires me to be a lot more efficient with timing if I have to then pay attention to how it's falling. Shadi, what's one dynamic variable you could point out that affects your play? I think my favorite dynamic variable is that 
Um, depending on how many blocks are on screen, when you hit the barrier, it determines how far down this, oh, it will move down it. all the blocks. I was trying <laughs> to figure that out. Oh, that's, uh... That was the one I was going to say, too, so... Oops. <laughs> damn you, Elliot. Man, everyone is damning me. How does that work out? Like, in specific? I think when you have, like, at least one block on screen, or... Well, it depends on how far down I think the blocks are, too. But, like, if you have a good number of blocks on screen, when you hit the barriers, it'll only move it down one block. But if you have, like, like very sparse number of blocks, uh, uh, like, on the higher part of the screen, it'll you know, generate more blocks in your field of um, attack. Essentially, the variable is actually how many blocks are on screen at any given time. Yeah. And then one effect of that is when you hit the bumper, it determines how far it scrolls. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Because you can use it to strategize. As a whole, does the number of blocks on screen affect your gameplay otherwise? Well, it depends on where they are, like how they're organized. If they're like in a column and I get on top of the blocks, I don't have to do anything. I can just wait for all the blocks to be cleared out. But if um, they're in a row, I have to move the ball cube in accordance to where the blocks are. Adrian, uh, how about you? I, I hope this one counts, or is what you're looking for, but um, the more you hit of the same color, you can eventually get a, a color bonus, which is important for getting a high score. Yeah, so the way that I would quantify that as a dynamic variable, which it is, is the string of blocks that you've previously hit is variable, or yeah. um, the last block you hit and the one before that all determine what happens when you hit the next block. I think the fallout from that is natural that you attempt to chain together blocks. More specifically, how does that come into play for you? Naturally, whenever you have a big... Hang on, I don't know the differences between rows and columns. Which was it for horizontal? Horizontal is rows. Vertical is columns. So when you have a big row and there's like a little opening and that row is just nothing but blue, I, I do that thing where you get the ball cube like stuck in the top and it bounces back and forth, the ping-pongs between to get out every block in that row and you get a huge co- color bonus. Naturally, I'm always going to try to do that. Of course, whenever they have them um, like orange-green, 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 and it does that both vertically and horizontally, whenever it has a checkerboard pattern like that, I typically don't worry about it too much because I'm like, yeah, the color bonus is pretty much going <laughs> to end here. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, oftentimes... That just means more stuff gets closer to the bottom as I'm desperately trying to keep the color bonus up. So it's usually just more to my advantage to just, um, yeah, deal with the fact that I don't have a color bonus. It's usually not that hard to get a new one anyways. So it's like, okay, really the question is more, all right, once I get rid of these, which color bonus should I go for next? Green, purple, blue, orange, whatever. Okay. On the flip side, though, in level one, there are a couple of spots where it's fun to play with how far you scroll a block, and do I want to try to chain red from two screens below with a red just above me, or do I want to switch over to yellow at this point? So the game also does give you opportunities to choose how far you want to scroll and attempt different chains, I guess. Yeah, I know one thing that I do deliberately. I th- you can kind of do this in level one, because there is a vanish in level one, or was it level two? I know is there's just a vanish very early that I pretty much do every single time is I try to get I deliberately just hit the top of the screen, hit the thing to scroll the screen down to get as many as I can and then I get the vanish and then I clear out the entire screen. Oh. Yeah, I do that every time. That's at the end of level one and you are 
wasting a ton of points by doing that. <laughs> Am? Oh, that's shitty. Oh, well. I, I thought I was doing a cool thing, but I guess I'm not. I don't have Vanish sorted out quite yet, but I'm, I'm sure it's not as many as you would get for the chain you can get on all those blocks. Well, of course. Yeah, because I can't keep looking at the score every time I do that. So the thing with the color bonus is they usually have the number like right there after the block you destroy will say like a thousand and then it shows like a blue trophy or something. But I can't keep looking at the score. Yeah, for me at least, I kind of have gotten an idea of how much I'm going to score on each level. And so I, I think I noticed that, you know, if I didn't get the vanish, I was getting like 27, 28,000 points on stage one. And then the time I tried getting the vanish... I only ended up with like 19,000 points for that stage or something like that. All right. The stages are short enough that I've found just checking at the end. uh, I can test out different strategies. Okay. Yeah, I should have been doing that more. Uh, Posting your high scores. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Here's another thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I usually try to just destroy everything I can with the arrow because I think that's how you get the most points using arrow. You still want to do chains. I don't think you still want to do chains. I don't think arrow gives you any bonus when you hit a block for just having arrow. Okay. You can yeah. you can still so, get some so, kind of chain going, but it's more difficult. So you, you can. S- like the first time you get arrow in stage two, you can get like most of those blue blocks in a chain with it. That are around where you get it. Yep. And you can get the yellow blocks and orange blocks and chains as well at the end. Those are pretty hard, though, because gray blocks do clear chains. Oh, they do? I thought they left them uninhibited. Nope. No. Yeah, I hate gray blocks. Yeah, they're annoying. Something Golem said actually leads into our uh, next question, which is you're talking about how you were manipulating the screen scrolling to lengthen your chains. So you're sort of formulating a strategy there by factoring the use of one dynamic variable into another. Does anyone have any other examples of that? Or we could just talk about how the ones that we have already mentioned uh, factor into each other. One thing I was thinking about earlier is that chains are nice, but you get way more if you max out your P. So uh, there's one, like, I forget, in one of the later levels I've been to, there's a red square with yellow P inside, and you can sort of putz around with it and try to get a red chain off the blocks of the bottom. But I usually just say screw it and go for collecting the P and, you know, don't worry about a red chain there. So I prioritize the dynamic variables based on what'll get me more points, and in that case, P gets me more points than a chain ever would. Okay, yeah, so in that instance, um, you're referring to the fact that getting consecutive Ps without letting any fall off screen, what, exponentially increases the number of points you get from them or something? I haven't quite jotted it down yet, but it starts at 100 and maxes out at 10,000. Okay. What I mentioned before about avoiding the vanish to continue a chain is another example, and I think that the chaining and... um, I think really the chaining is what plays into most of the others as the central mechanic. So if you just wanted to come up with any ways that the other dynamics affect the chaining, that would work as well. I keep thinking about 
the change, but that is more about static than dynamic. What does it do? <clears throat> the change? Makes you smaller. Yeah. Or big if you collect it again. Yeah. Yeah, screw you, change. Doesn't give you more points if you're smaller or bigger? The game is way easier when you're smaller. Yeah. <laughs> you can fit it in, in gaps easier. Talking about fitting it in gaps is more under the umbrella of static stuff. Yeah, I think we might talk about that more in a minute. Another example of a sort of omnipresent dynamic variable is the ball cube's speed. It's so easy to forget that. Like, you just take it for granted. Shadi, does speed ever play into your uh, strategizing or how you handle, for instance, the scrolling or um, the bumper layout? Speed as what kind of variable, dynamic or static? I think the speed is dynamic. Yeah, uh, it is, because you get faster. So when, with my ball cube accelerated a lot, I'd probably play it safer and try to keep it in a corner, because um, it'll be more difficult to control. Okay. And then keeping it at a corner, though, would also keep it going fast. Well, how else would you slow it down? If you let it go long distances, it will slow down on its own. Oh. Basically, it slowly decelerates over time, and every time you bounce off a wall, it accelerates a chunk. Well, if I keep it in a corner, I'll clear out a bunch of blocks, so that would create the space it needs to decelerate safely, because be, there'll be a large area for it to decelerate before I can control it again. Yeah. So, yeah. When I'm at a high speed is when I have the highest risk of falling through a gap on the bottom of the screen, just because the ball cube becomes more difficult to control. And when you're bouncing around a lot and switching where the bumper gap is, it's difficult to keep track of what's happening. Yeah. To be fair, though, uh, I like it when it's fast and I have a steel block on screen so I can oh, get those yeah. out as quickly as possible. Too bad you can't have a color bonus with the steel blocks. I know, right? That's half the point of them, I think. Yeah, they're just impediments. Some other dynamic variables that we haven't mentioned yet. We sort of mentioned power-ups, but your power-up state is as well. I guess you want to talk about dynamic variables playing into each other. We were just talking about speed, and there's a slow power-up. Oh, yeah. I was about to mention that, but then I forgot. (laughs) You're welcome. I think uh, Arrow also works well with uh, high speed. Not that uh, it's easy to manipulate your speed when you go through every block, but... But you decelerate. Yeah, but since you're at lesser risk of um, bouncing off something at an unexpected angle, generally with Arrow, I don't even take note of how fast I'm moving. Yeah. Like a knife through hot butter. You mean a hot knife through butter. Oh, yes, that thing. Arrows don't really go through things that much in real life. Yeah, they do. That's why using them to hunt is like a weird thing, because... Let's say you're hunting for deer. You want to fire it at an angle that it doesn't go right through the deer. Huh. So you want to incapacitate it. You want to stop the wound. You don't want it to be bleeding everywhere when you're picking it up. You want it to be fresh. Wait, so the arrow does stick in it? No, yeah, you have to fire at an angle so it does. Right, it's like hard to do to not get it to go through is the point. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a special trick. Right. Yeah. Well, they could just call it laser. Uh, that's an arcanoid, so that'd probably be copyright uh, infringement. Uh. I have officially played more Ball Cube than I've ever played Arkanoid or Breakout. Good, good. Mm, yeah, those get pretty old pretty fast. Although I do think I've played a good amount of Breakout in um, 
or no, Arkanoid in the Legend of the Mystical Ninja. No one's played Alleyway. <laughs> Is that like the sequel to Hogan's Alley? <laughs> That's a, it's Breakout, except Mario pilots the ship. It's on Game Boy. <laughs> Sweet. <clears throat> okay. In that case, let's move on to static variables. I mean, there are some really obvious ones, but Shadi, what's a static variable um, in Bulkeep? The distance between which you level up. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. You mean the distance between <clears throat> level 1 and level 2? Like there's yeah. 36 tiles? Yeah. Does that actually influence uh, your gameplay? Yeah. You can beat a level before clearing out all the blocks from it. So if you die before you clear all the blocks, you'll start the next level, and all those blocks won't be there when you start it. Wait, really? Yeah. So the way it works is there's a a single block that triggers the next level. That can scroll on screen, and there can only be one uh, like row of blocks from level 2, but you'll, you can still have some riffraff from level 1 at the bottom. And if you die while that riffraff is on screen, you'll just spawn with the starting state from level 2. Yeah. Oh, okay. That actually sounds like it's detrimental because, well, I maybe guess points. Yeah, if you're trying to progress as far as possible, maybe not, but you're wasting a lot of points. Mm-hmm. Still, I'm, I'm not really sure about that one. Does the actual length of the stage, like, is that something that you pay attention to? Yeah, on the on that um thing, the the, the mini screen, the mini map. Insofar as a stage represents a single game idea, like stage so, five is the snake stage. Okay, so you're saying that like you know that you won't have to do a corridor again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Golem, is that a variable? What well, I mean, color. So chain is dynamic, whether or not I have a red chain when I approach a red block. But red blocks will always be in the same place. So like, if I have memorized that there's a red block just off the screen somewhere, or I don't even need to memorize, I can just look at the map. Then I can plan out a chain based on the static positioning of blocks. Yeah, the layout in general, be it the color, shape, or position of the blocks, those are all static properties of the stages. Except for the aforementioned seemingly random horizontal flip, mm-hmm. which is, as far as I'm concerned, is arbitrary, unless anyone has an opinion on that. I've never I been able have to figure an, out. I don't have an opinion. I think it's gauche. Huh? It's oh, a joke. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should be ready to support your argument. Yeah, that was a totally unsubstantiated claim. Strike it from the record. Adrian, how about another static variable? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've got nothing left. I guess you could say the shape, and that some of them are triangles, and then some of them are squares, and they're usually in the same place every time. And power-ups, pretty damn sure they're in the same place every time. Yeah. Yeah, true on both counts. And can't help but feel like those weird ghost cube things uh, typically come out in the same spots too. Obviously, they're dynamic in how they move, but they have a tendency to keep coming at like the same general areas. Like I know there's always one around level five. Yeah, and... they spawn, their spawn is static. Yeah, their spawn is fixed. Yeah, static. they they end up being dynamic because they move according to what blocks are cleared, right? Oh, they don't pass through blocks. 
do they? I honestly, I have, don't watch. They do them. pass your blocks. They, yeah, they do. Regardless, they're not synced to the level. So uh, when you scroll, the bouncing ghost cube doesn't scroll down. Yeah, with that's the part where, of the level. That's why it's not synced with it. It'll stay wherever it wants to. Yeah, we forgot that one, but those are pretty wacky. Yeah. Yeah, the only enemy in the game. They can be useful, though. Yeah. I mean, I use them to save myself sometimes. I think they're mostly an impediment, like the gray blocks. I I just kill them as fast as I can. It's so easy to bounce off of them in an unpleasant way. Yeah, they are pretty unpleasant. Yeah. More minor stuff that's static is like the health of blocks that regular blocks take one hit and gray blocks take three hits that never changes correct me if i'm wrong but the layout of the bumpers at the bottom in terms of small and large that is determined stage by stage and it is always the same for each like level two is always going to have the big bumper one from the left if i remember correctly Right, um, so where the large bumpers are. Well, anyway, that's one of the main ones. How do the dynamic variables we've discussed uh, affect your evaluation of block shape? Well, definitely size. Size? They're all the same size. No, uh, the dynamic variable being the ball cube size and the static variable being the block shape, so that... If I have a corridor of triangle blocks, I can probably squeeze it through a decent ways as a small block. And if I have a big block, then or a big cube, uh, then I just cross my fingers. Small cube. You don't. You don't go through. You're not big enough. Don't even try it. Not small enough. Not small enough. Don't even try it. Shape, I guess um. shape also, uh, if you want to talk about speed... Not so much, but position. Unless you hit the very tip of a triangle block, it's going to offset you some. Yeah. Although, uh, I'm not sure how much that usually comes into play, because, I mean, you're playing a game where you can control the horizontal movement of the ball cube, so... In, in the early levels, not so much, but once you get up to the tens... Okay. I feel like when I'm moving quickly, I do tend to be a lot more careful around triangle blocks. I mean, you've got a row of square blocks. You can sort of trust yourself to get into that ping-pong-type situation um, where you'll just bounce back and forth and continuously clear them. But you can't really do that with triangle blocks. And I end up, you know, manipulating the cube a lot more often or just touching the controls a lot more often. Uh, what about shape and power up? Other mm. than change, say arrow or. Uh, I don't think arrow option. is affected by. Yes. Yeah, an arrow, an option is just good to clear out the the grave locks. Yeah, is that all option does? Yeah, it's just good to be. But yeah, I think generally. Game like a normal one. Aside from change, power ups are constructed so that they don't have anything to do with shape, like vanish. You know, it vanishes um, everything. Actually, I would disagree with you about arrow. Uh, because chaining comes into play. Oh, yeah. With shape? Well, well they're kind of. If, if you're small... Layout. Well, is, well yeah, the layout. Oh, okay. Because the, the shape can determine layout. I think the length of each level 
which is a static variable, was affected by how far the blocks will scroll as a dynamic variable. So if you want to finish the level and just progress, um, you can use that to determine and get as far as possible. You can't abuse the scrolling too much. No, not too much, but when... Like, if there's, like, a certain number of times you have to hit the barriers to get to the level, then you keep track of that. Mm. And, and, and in addition to how many blocks are on screen, how many blocks far it'll scroll. Now let's back up a little. Next, we review Ball Cube's sense of level design and how it evolves from one level to the next. When does the game switch up its static variables? When does it switch up what you can expect in terms of layouts and in terms of the bumper layout and uh, available power-ups, block color, block shapes? A lot of those are just determined by level design. I mean, specifically, like, how many stages is it before you see new block shapes and... So, um, to be honest, I don't have a great idea of the pacing yet, having only been to stage or level 12, but it seems like, you know, you see the first triangle block in level two and you don't see option until level four, I think. They stretch things out a little bit, at least. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can probably think of is like, you know how the, it scrolls like one block at a time, typically. Right. Whenever you hit the bumpers, well, when you start getting into later levels, like say in the beginning levels, you might have to deal with two new blocks per scroll, but in the later levels, it's as many as four to six new blocks per scroll. Just because the level layout gets more claustrophobic? Yeah. Like I know the beginning of level six has that big narrow hallway that you can maneuver through with the pink blocks. No one's going to know what I'm talking about without a picture. Right, I uh, that is, I stopped I the typography on level five, so that's next. I know what you're talking about. It's the corridor that has pink triangular blocks on either side of it, and then behind them are like yellow and orange blocks or something. Yeah, that's right. So I guess you can say uh, block frequency, block frequency, block. I don't know density. I don't know the more blocks come. Yeah, I I think you're right that it is sort of block density is increased, where even if you just look at these screenshots of the first five levels that Golem put up here, you can see, like, level four is where you start getting those constant or lots of chunks of blocks. Yeah, first it's like, uh, how how is this game going to challenge me at all? Like, it seems pointless at first. And then once things get really crowded, uh, suddenly the bottom row of bumpers does not seem full enough. Or rather, how full it is doesn't seem to matter at all. Alright, and the ghost cubes that appear... I don't know if level 5 is the first time they appear. I'm stuck on level 5 for a reason. But um, yeah, once they start throwing those in and you have more cramped areas with a lot more blocks that you need to get rid of, because then that's when you're more in danger of things getting to the bottom of the screen dying, or 
you ping-ponging yourself to death. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. how they start making things harder. That'd be a fun obituary. Man ping-pongs to death. Be sad. At least he died doing what he loves. <laughs> Go along with that weird scream you get when you die in Ball Cube. Yeah, with the apparently the that Ball Cube was alive. Of course it was alive. It's just it, like it Breakout. It's a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> the Ball spaceship's actually a spaceship. It's an alien yeah. spaceship. He's probably pretty seasick alien, I guess. <laughs> He's used to it. He's geometrically stable. At least the ship is. Yeah, maybe he's, oh, like, wait. he's standing up in the fourth dimension. And he only did forget a shape. Other, right? <laughs> I, I forgot about the diamonds. Oh, yeah, there's uh, like triangles. They're, yeah, they're, they're like triangles except on all four sides. They have that, um, you know, the way you rebound off them oddly. Or at a sharper angle than if you were to bounce off a flat edge of the blocks. Uh, I don't think the pots, they, I think the, the pots or any of the other uh, stuff like that, they just behave the same as blocks, so I don't know if they're any different. They're just there so that, uh, for aesthetic reasons? Yeah, it seems like it. It brings pleasure to mine eyes. Would you say it's more of a scaling of the static elements, like a gradual increase, or are there clear points at which the game throws a lot more at you? Or that whatever it throws at you makes a substantial impact on how you play? Oh, it's definitely gradual. Like, even having played through the first 12 levels a good amount, there are no discrete moments where I have to tell myself, okay, now is the point where I forget about chains and just survive. I always just handle things as they come. Yeah. And that uh, the little mini med they give you is also a good uh, a good help too, you know, for planning out what you're gonna do. Especially when you're just trying to, it was, you're just getting rid of the the gray metal blocks. Shadi, is that your experience as well? Yeah, there are there are no changes in a game that are that dramatic or drastic. Yeah, unlike throwout. Yeah. Or throw up. Yeah, everyone knows throwout. <laughs> Uh, I don't know throwout. <laughs> yeah. Well, throwout all. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I was just, I was just throwing that out there. Yeah. Personally, I think level five is a bit of a spike. That's the first time you really get this fixed carters, where breaking one block does not create a new opening. Whereas in level four, even though they're grouped together, as soon as you break a block, you now have a path to move through. Yeah. Not that I found level 5 substantially harder, but I do think my uh, strategy changed up a bit, and that was when I had to start getting better at getting behind the blocks. Mm-hmm. And for a while, it was when I stopped bothering much with chaining. Yeah. yeah. It's also a point where they start throwing in so many different colors that are right next to each other that um the chaining is usually... Has to be more obvious. Like, okay, here is where there's a cluster of blue and nothing else around it. So now I can finally get back my chain again. Whereas a lot of times in some of the later levels, they'll have like a green right next to a blue, which is right next to a purple, and it's like, uh, not much I can do about that. Or I could try, but I could also just risk getting more stuff to the the bottom of the screen, and also making it easier to collide with one of them and then go into the hole of the bump that I just bounced off of. 
Yeah, I think all the angled blocks at that point also start to make chains more difficult because naturally you can't just bounce between a wall and uh, a triangle block. It's going to throw you off course a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know. I found that I had a tendency to get bounced into stuff a lot more often at that point. Yeah. The point at which you can redirect yourself, uh, the distance at which you can redirect yourself after having been bounced off of one of those is much further than if it was just a regular block. Because I'm looking back at my old toys right now, and that is the main difference I'm seeing. Yeah. And I think that's just, that's really just the layout creating that difficulty. I'm not sure there's any specific dynamic variable that plays into that except chaining. Yeah. Sometimes it seems the colors were decided more for, I guess, to make whatever faces or things they were trying to do. I don't, I don't think they were really feasibly trying to make it so that, oh, you, if you're really good, you can chain through the whole game. It's like, I don't think they were trying to go for that. Yeah, that's uh, a little bit odd, in my opinion, that it does seem like there are discrete points at which you just are going to lose your chain. Or no, I, um, I haven't seen a part that seems like there's no chain creatable. I can see parts where, like, it's been weird and I can imagine a little frustrating, but I've never seen just utter random. No. But I mean, like, let's say, like, look at your picture that you had with us. There's only one part where there's red. Where? Which stage? Uh, the the <laughs> picture you have in stage two? Stage the red two. lips. Yeah, yeah, the red lips, and that's all the red you see. There's none after that for quite a while. Yeah. So, so there are there are points you're going to have to deal with the fact that, well, I'm going to have to get a new chain with a different color. Maybe what seems more to your point there is that you can chain the red, you can chain the blue, but there's only the two pink blocks. Yes. But the two, those two pink blocks, aren't they power-ups? The one on the left is. You can tell if it's a power-up because it'll have yeah. a little uh, nub. Yeah. yeah, hang on. Let me little just nipple. control plus nipple. <laughs> yeah, there's a nipple in that person's eye. So I think that stage two is actually one that... Whereas stage one, you can sort of use the scrolling to lengthen your chains uh, just by carefully skipping blocks. Stage two, on the other hand gives you these discrete chunks where pretty much all the red's going to come on the screen at once. Yeah, no, there's no color bleeding. Right, and you do that, right. and stage three then makes it much more complicated by putting different colors horizontally aligned with each other, which, yeah, I mean, I, I found stage three to be pretty challenging to chain all the blocks through. Uh, I'm not, is it possible? Oh wow! Look at that. Yeah, I'm seeing this now. That I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah, looks, it seems like by the time you did all the red, then all the yellow would be, um, would have already hit the bottom of the screen. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, it would get too yeah. close to the bottom. That would be. I'm not positive. Yeah, but you might be right. I, I'm as I said, definitely have not changed the whole thing. Yeah, when the when it's going diagonal like that, obviously it's going to start bleeding to the other screen which means you're going to have to be forced to scroll it up more, which means even if you had avoided, though, if you, like, knocked out, like, say, those first two reds so you could get behind the orange, the red's still going to get closer to the bottom, so you probably aren't going to chain that entire diagonal lane of orange there 
without dealing with the red at some point. I like that, though, because that means you still have to think about what part you're going to try to chain. Yeah, obviously. I, I'm, I'm still of the mind that you're not going to chain 100% of the time. I mean, that's just... Yeah. I don't know what kind of game you're expecting where you can do that, but it's not ball. Uh, DMC. It's... <laughs> Just got to throw some cancels in there. <laughs> yeah, what kind of cancel would be? Uh, what does count as a cancel in this game? Cancel. A momentum cancel by bulky. Well, I would just be leaving it alone. I mean, hitting the um, bottom bumpers is sort of like a cancel. But yeah, that uh, stage three accentuates that decision point between... Do I want to hit the yellow block and prevent it from getting to the bottom of the screen or hit the bumper and see if I can deal with uh, the decreased space and still continue my red chain? You need to hit at least three colors before you get a chain. Right, the fourth block will be the start of the chain. Right. So with that in mind, you can actually look at this and figure figure out beforehand, well, it's like you're planning out a speedrun or something, uh, which ones are even worth attempting to chain if there's enough blocks on the screen without having to do maintenance work with the ones yeah, it's easier when, the bottom. Uh, when I can just sit down and look at this and uh, there's no impending doom happening at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Obviously in real time, when you're in the middle of the game, that's going to be a bit more difficult. I don't think this game lets you pause. No. no Obviously. It's an arcade, it's an arcade. <laughs> Yeah, it's an arcade game. You gotta go to the bathroom, well, tough shit. Although, <laughs> what? literally. Yeah. <laughs> for an arcade game, it doesn't have a timer. The timer yeah. is you. It, yeah. And it doesn't need one, because if a player left the game, obviously they would lose, but... The level's always gonna move, no matter what you do. Yeah. It's not like in a, I don't know, Metal Slug or something, where you can have a character be idle on the screen, and, you know, there's gotta be something to say, hey, move your ass. Here, because the ball cube never stops, the level naturally is also never going to stop. So, they don't really need one. Finally, back up a little more for the most abstract portion. How does ball cube work as a whole? You'll also hear interesting comparisons to Devil May Cry 3. So ultimately, I think that the most interesting challenge in the game is the combination of the chaining and the bumper scrolling. And I think that the reason that that is interesting or makes for challenging strategy is that it presents a conflict of dynamic elements. It's not like choose between continuing your chain or just clearing the screen of all blocks. It's choose between continuing your chain or moving things down one more and making it more challenging, but still uniquely uh, challenging continuation of uh, what you're doing. It seems like at the core there is the fact that um, 
like in a lot of arcade games, it's a single screen action game, uh, like Puzzle Bobble or Bubble Bobble. <laughs> uh, you just see the one screen at a time. What's nice about Ball Cube is that it flows so that like there's level one, there's level two, there's level three, but in reality, the entire game is like one long string. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. another thing I kind of want to throw out there too is that um, even if you were the kind of player that was playing this just to see how far you could get and you didn't care about the color bonuses or the score at all, uh, by level f- five, maybe seven or eight, is you're you're, st- you're going to f- come up with the challenge of trying to not have things get in the bottom of the screen or accidentally knock yourself below the bumpers, which are the two loose conditions to this game. I don't know. Does anyone disagree with that? Oh, yeah, because of the way things get more claustrophobic. Yeah. Yeah. More claustrophobic and the ghost cubes. I don't know what to call them. I keep calling them ghost cubes. I like ghost cube. They're they're the spirits of when you die with a vengeance. (laughs) The way that the screen scrolls, there's a consistency because of how it scrolls and how your chain can bleed from one screen to the next. Um... Wait, I lost the rest of that thought while I was talking. Wow, that really blows. Well, I had my mic muted while I was talking, so <laughs> we both did a whoopsie. <clears throat> anyway, I was saying that to me what makes the claustrophobia difficult or I think what's necessary is the dynamic speed and the fact that, as I was saying before, you can't just go into a small area and bounce around and then move on as you would normally because you end up with a really fast cube and you need to be able to essentially catch it and repurpose your momentum. What's also nice though is that I imagine as you play the game more you get better and better at those claustrophobic sections so that the difficulty of just surviving becomes trivial and then you start picking them apart for chains. Like, I mean even level 3 is kind of like that. Yeah, and that, I think, is your basic layered difficulty. You know, that's in Devil May Cry 3, once you're not dying in battles anymore, then you learn how to do combos. Yeah, learn to do things other than stinker all the time. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily always think layered difficulty is a good thing, or I don't think it universally is, but I do think that it really works in ball cube. Yeah, and Devil May Cry, um, I don't know, it, it's it's less of the kind of game where you're always going to be motivated to kill things in the most stylish way possible. You mean Boss Cube is less stylish than Devil May Cry? <laughs> As in, I'm more motivated to be stylish in Ball Cube than in Devil May Cry. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Not that I don't. I feel like Devil May Cry rewards you more for it. No, uh, you just have a number... You know, the score go up, but I don't know. So, Sometimes I don't always feel like going for S ranks. So what's the difference to you in Ball Cube that makes you like it? The score is recorded. It, it is in TMC3. But that's not what compared I'm to, to other scores. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because I know um, among single-player games, uh, Donkey Kong Jung- Jungle Beat, Jungle Beat. Uh, abs- yes, absolutely made me want to get all those platinum medals because of the way they had the, the chain thing work. 
Dumbly Cry, the way it works is just you do a different move, the thing goes up, and that's about it. That's a, that's to the extent of how it works. It's just keep chaining together different moves on the same or different enemies. So, I don't know. Maybe it's the, the, it's the fact that level design instead of combat that um you prefer level design move, allowing to move through chain chains instead of combat. Yeah, because the thing is, like a lot of times, it's like I just do that anyways in Devil May Cry, or hell, not even it doesn't even need to be Devil May Cry. It's like even in Zelda, I would just do different <laughs> that different ways. So if Devil May Cry is giving me a score, it's like yeah, whatever. But I killed something in a cool way. So I guess you could say the score is a more clear way that I've been doing different moves that's considered more skillful according to the game itself, even though in reality you wanted to kill them as fast as you can, you wouldn't actually be doing what the game considers a high score. You'd actually just stinger the shit out of them or jump cancel the shit out of them. We may be moving... Yeah, I'm sorry. Dynamic and static variables yeah, we're off topic, but yeah. it's okay. Um, maybe... Point is, the score, I like the way ball cube handles score. Well, it's simple. sort of, maybe back to static and dynamic. Um, the fact that you mentioned Donkey Kong Jungle Beat is another game where you like the score makes me think that maybe you're um, enjoying the sort of linearity or the... Um, that there's a ceiling to how well you can play. Like, when you do a chain in Ball Cube, you know you've done the best chain, regardless of um, how exactly you do it. You may have hit the blocks in a slightly different order. Mm-hmm. But, do you mean um, to say that dyna- uh, yeah, Dynamic May Cry 3 is much more dynamic? I would say that... I guess you could say it's a bit... Maybe it is that it's a bit more guided. Or not guided, but... I think that the Devil May Cry has maybe more dynamic results. Yeah. No, no. Well, where it's not as measurable. I mean, you don't even get an exact score. You just get ranks. Yeah. For one it's thing. Not, that's, that's, it's not exact. Bone cube. We have numbers. Ball cube, sustaining a chain, I guess, really isn't about making a decision from one move to the next what you're going to do, although that originally comes into play in structuring it. It gains more structure in that you're developing a strategy for taking on a static layout. Like, you may be making those point-to-point decisions each time you play, but you're gradually constructing the best way to approach the stages. Because you need to get four blocks in a row to get a chain, and because you can keep a chain going indefinitely, you're not thinking about just the next block, you're thinking about the next X number of blocks. Is that it? Yeah, I mean, getting that first block of the chain doesn't really mean anything until you pay it off. Right. Uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I, so I'm, I'm kind of a, a little bit... um of going back to Don't Make Cry again after we said it was off topic. Oh, no, feel free. Anything off topic. <laughs> Greg is more than happy to edit out, so uh, it doesn't matter. Well, I was, uh, All right. I, yeah. I don't care about off topic stuff. Uh, well, I was thinking is that um, with Don't Make Cry, I'm 
the thing is like because it's not a level it's like an enemy isn't a level so the thing is if you know how to get a high score or a high rank by stylishly killing an enemy it'll pretty much work for any other enemy of that same type hell even across types so that's just another reason for me why it's like I kill things in a variety of ways because you know that's how I get the most fun out of it but I don't care if it's saying SS rank it's or A rank is like I'm not gonna be bummed out if I got an A. It's like, damn, that should have been an SS. It's like, I don't care. Yeah. So Devil May Cry versus a game like Ninja Gaiden is actually more about the groupings of enemies than the individual enemies. So it's not so much about how to take out one enemy at a time using a good mix of moves. It's more about purposing your moves so that you string from one enemy to the next while also keeping whomever stunned Mm -hmm. when you need to. And the game kind of illustrates that in that, well, I don't know which ones in the series you've played, but three in particular uh, likes to always mix up enemy pairings. Like, you very rarely will ever fight just... Just... Whatever uh, they're called, Reapers. Lusts or Wraths or... They're named as Deadly Sins. Yeah, I really hate their names. <laughs> but you're not just going to fight the one kind of enemy. Each new fight generally introduces a new pairing. Yeah. And so you're kind of encouraged to experiment mm-hmm. what weapons work best on what combinations of enemies and what type of spacing they create. Because really the main distinction in enemies in Double May Cry 3 is the way that they position themselves. You have the guys that just lumber around, then you have the guys that warp, then you have the guys that stand far away and shoot at you. And you have the chess pieces. Um, Those are probably one of my favorites ones to fight, the chess pieces. I hate fighting those. Really? You could do the coolest shit off of them, though. I really don't like enemies that don't have any stun or... uh, any type of attack interplay. They just feel like sandbags. <laughs> well, <laughs> sandbags is what a lot of the Devil May Cry enemies kind of are. But Well, they literally are in Devil May Cry 3. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the chessboard fight, but generally I just uh, sigh whenever I see the chess pieces show up. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, great, here comes nothing. <laughs> All right, that was some pretty sweet conversations we just had. I would call it riveting. I would call it, yeah, riveting. I would call it riveting. Hopefully, you'll catch some of that stuff we said about Devil May Cry 3. <laughs> Maybe the editors will take it all out. God damn it. <clears throat> Maybe he'll take that out as well. <laughs> he definitely likes to make jokes in editing. <laughs> Any final thoughts on Ball Cube uh, in terms of uh, breaking down the static and dynamic elements of it? It's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. I was also pleasantly surprised with Ball Cube as a, as a game. I actually quite enjoy it. 
So talking about, you know, how do you get good at this, or how do you get good at this game and what makes the levels harder wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Mm. So That's, that's telling. Yeah. yeah, I think really? it's a game short enough. I mean, most of what we talked about was dynamic, but it's still short enough on dynamic variables that the comparison between static and dynamic was meaningful. Yeah. What I'm kind of getting at is, like, I didn't feel like I was trying to break down a whole game system and then talk about, like, what makes it interesting, like, Tetris or something, or Puzzle Fighter. Instead, it was this was pretty level-based, actually. So that's kind of my forte at the moment. Uh, hopefully I can correct that once I start getting to other games. Wow. I'm, yeah, where's, I'm where's so narcissistic. On, um, Viper? Shit, yeah, I can't do that too. And I get like five minutes for Final Wars or Ball Cuma talking about myself. I hate me. You guys go. I think the level orientation definitely is what makes this game something interesting to play in and why I think it's interesting to talk about the comparison of static and dynamic components because if you take something like Tetris, essentially everything's dynamic. Uh, there's no real structure you're working from. You know, you have your basic properties of the blocks, but every time you play, you're starting from a blank screen and you're in control of everything. We don't play Mode B? We'll talk about Mode B. <laughs> the mode where you can hurt each other? Um, I'll hurt you. We'll talk about Mode B. <laughs> yeah. This actually comes out closer to something like Tetris Puzzles and then is also fun on top of that. Uh, Shadi, any additional comment on Ball Cube? Do you wish it had a mid B? I wish there were more games like Ball Cube where you can control the ball. I'm surprised that no one has thought of, of, of this of this concept like later on without knowing what Ball Cube is because it's kind of obscure. So it's like, hey, where do you control the ball and break out instead of the, pa- of the seemingly random panel? I think you do run the risk of giving the player too much control when they're just driving around a dot with no properties. Oh, Flink Smash. Oh, uh, that's sitting in my pile of Wii games yet to be played. Right up a trauma team. Sure, sitting in a pile of something. Oh, uh, you, you go <laughs> eat a ham. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like a sort of brother to pinball. I think yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's more like pinball than breakout. It's almost like we did play Devil's Crush. Sonic Spinball. I guess, actually, yeah. I like yeah, that. Yeah, that's another one that does that. My older brother hates that game. It's hard. It has obnoxious elements. Yes. <laughs> like the music. Oh, <laughs> wow. You are really trying to get on my bad side tonight. <laughs> side. Okay, before we go, uh, Adrian, does the word cartridge refer to uh, only the casing or the uh, combination of the casing and the contents thereof? I thought it was the latter. Okay, Golem. Cartridge game cartridge. I mean, I was... you got like five seconds on this. I would One, the two. All right, Chatty. Three. Four, wait, five. wait, okay, time's up. Uh, that was it. Wait. Okay. Do you have an answer? Or are oh. you going to guess? I think it's the former. 
Shaddy's right. It's only the casing. Yeah, the contents. Because like an ammunition cartridge holds bullets, and it's yeah. the case that holds the bullets. I know. That's, that's how I know. Oh, okay. That's how uh, I figured it uh, out too. That's cool. Yay! Yeah, so that's a, a little lesson for everyone to learn. I feel wiser now. I feel All like right. I know the meaning of words. Well, there we go. We actually have left the listeners with some wisdom. So, thank you all for joining me. Hopefully we'll be back not too long to talk some more about Ball Cube. Remember, it's Ball with one L. And one A. And two Bs. And one G. And race to the third power. Yeah, and race to the third power, just like Alien 3. Yeah. And Cube 3 also, I think. All music in this podcast came from Ballcube. Gameplay. I'll leave you with this final thought. Do games stress different types of skills depending on the balance between static and dynamic variables? Or can static and dynamic variables equally stress a variety of skills? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com.